three weeks away from Selection Sunday. Things are getting serious at the top, in the middle, and at the very back end of the bracket. We're going to talk about all of that on this edition of Bracket Madness here at The Athletic. I am Michael Beller, joined as always by Brian Bennett. Brian, you put together your bracket. It debuts every Friday on The Athletic. It's up there now for subscribers to see. Uh, so you put this together on Thursday. How was yesterday's Thursday, this week's Thursday, to you? Uh, it was uh, it was a little bit easier than uh, the previous week. Uh, some teams, I think, have uh, kind of you know separated themselves a little bit uh, on the bubble. Uh, but but trying to figure out those those last four, uh, next four, next four out was uh, still still pretty challenging. Yeah, I, I imagine it was, and we'll talk about those teams in a bit here. Again, you can follow Brian on Twitter at GBrianBenny. You can follow me on Twitter at MBeller. Uh, if you are not a subscriber and you can't see Brian's bracket in print form right now, what are you doing? Go to theathletic.com slash bracket madness. Get yourself 40% off an annual subscription there. Brian, let's jump in at the top. The one seeds, they're the same. Baylor, Kansas, Gonzaga, San Diego State, Baylor and Kansas getting together on Saturday for the return matchup in Waco. Of course, Baylor won the first one in Lawrence. I'm just going to ask you this. Uh, assuming a realistic path for the remainder of the season after this game for Baylor, if they win this game, if they beat Kansas, get the season sweep of the Jayhawks, are they locked in as a one seed? I believe that's correct. Uh, you know, we look at their remaining schedule. They've got Kansas State at home, and then they go to TCU the next two after this. I don't think they'll lose either of those two games. Those would be damaging, but I don't don't think that's going to happen. And then they finish with Texas Tech and then at West Virginia. Even if they were to lose those last two games, and let's say they lost their first game in the Big 12 tournament, that would put them at 27-4, and four, uh, 11 quad one wins. Uh, that That's definitely number one. Uh, seed material. They might not stay the number one overall seed in that scenario. Perhaps a Gonzaga or, or San Diego State or somebody jumps them for the overall number one. But it'd still be a number one going through Houston Regional, most likely. That's that's pretty dang good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's assuming basically a wor- uh, worst case realistic scenario. So they are definitely looking good if they can get this home win against Kansas on Saturday. And that one right off the bat, uh, 12 noon or uh, 12 Eastern, 11 a.m. Central time. That game just really gets uh, the big Saturday rolling right off the bat. Baylor and Kansas, two of the best teams all season. Your last four buys, Oklahoma, Purdue, Arizona State, and Indiana. Brian, Purdue, Purdue, 14 <laughs> and 13 right now. This team has lost three straight games, seven and nine in the Big Ten, and they're not even in the first four. They are comfortably in the field. What's up with that? Well, what's up with that is I'm on Matt Painter's payroll. Uh, I didn't know <laughs> if he knew that or not. I didn't. I didn't. It's good to know. I've got uh, I've got some cousins who went to Purdue. I'll let them know that I've got a friend who can uh, hook them up. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's strange. Don't get me wrong. And I wrote in the bracket watch that you know it's possible that. The future engineers and astronauts that are going to school in West Lafayette may have hacked the computers, but you know, you look at the, the computer numbers; it's just crazy. It produced 32nd in Net, 25th in Ken Palm, or 14th in ESPN BPI, 14th at 14 and 13. Uh, and that's not going to be the be all end all of their tournament resume for the committee, but those are metrics that are that will be on the top of the sheet for the committee. And you know, they've got good wins: Michigan State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Indiana. They beat Virginia, who's in the field. Five Q one victories overall. Uh, so yeah, fourteen and thirteen. Uh, you know that's not great. Uh, but we have had teams get in at sixteen and fourteen. In fact, we have eleven times in history uh, teams with sixteen wins have gotten in. Uh, twice we've had teams with a five thirty three 
win percentage get in. So uh, Purdue uh, has a chance here, and it really came down to you know looking at their resume compared to the teams behind them. I thought it was stronger. They they have better wins, and when they're on, they're really really on. So it's a it's going to be an interesting test for the committee on, on how they view this team, but. And clearly, Purdue can't lose another game here. <laughs> They'd be 500. Um, same thing kind of happened to Minnesota, you know, who would be, I think, strongly considered given their resume, but but they're 12 and 13 right now. If they could win three of the next four, they might be in the field. So it's, uh, it's just the craziness of the Big Ten. Yeah, right. And you can see still a lot of movement in that conference. Purdue's remaining schedule, home for Michigan this weekend, home for Indiana next Thursday, and they wrap it up at Iowa and home for Rutgers. So four big opportunities for the Boilermakers to make things at least a little bit easier on themselves going into the Big Ten Tournament. Uh, Your last four in the field, Virginia, Cincinnati, Utah State, and NC State gets the big win over Duke earlier this week. From this point forward, with that win in their pocket, what do they need to do to stay in? Well, they need to win some more games, clearly, and they they can't afford to lose to North Carolina, uh, Pitt, you know, Wake Forest, they probably need to win at least one game in the ACC tournament, maybe two. Uh, it'd be great, of course, if they could beat Florida State on Saturday or or go to Cameron Indoor and get get the season sweep of Duke. Uh, those seem a little less likely, but uh, they're also as the last team in the field. You know, that's that's a dangerous place to be because you get one bid thief, you know, from from a right. conference tournament and you're out. So it's a very very shaky situation for NC State, uh, clearly. Uh, but that 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 win was just so huge for them and. And there are not a lot of great answers uh, behind them. So, you know, they've got three Q3 losses. So that's not great. Uh, they're not, those aren't coming off the sheet. Uh, but they, they did beat Wisconsin in the, uh, the non-conference. And they got underrated victory at UNC Greensboro, even though it took a half-court shot at the buzzer to beat them. <laughs> so uh, they're, they're right there on the edge, obviously, as the 68th team in. But, you know, at least they've given themselves a shot. Going to be one of those teams that is nervous on Selection Sunday unless they do something special over the remaining three weeks. Let's flip this to the other side of the bracket picture. First four out, Richmond, Stanford, Providence, and Arkansas. Richmond is the team I want to talk about in this group. Let's uh, let's play out the rest of their season. Let's say they win out the rest of the 8-10. They're done with Rhode Island. They're done with Dayton in the regular season. So let's say they win out, which seems not only reasonable but likely. They end in third place in the Atlantic 10. They play Rhode Island in the Atlantic 10 semis. They win that game. They play Dayton in the Atlantic 10 final. They lose that game. Is that enough to get this team in? It's a fascinating question. I'm not sure the answer. You look at their remaining regular season schedule, and it's it's a bunch of teams at the bottom of the A-10, so it's really only chances for bad losses. They're really not going to rack up any more quality wins until they get to the Atlantic 10 tournament. Uh, but, you know, it's a team that's 20-6, and six. You know, two of their losses came when their leading scorer, Blake Francis, was out uh, with a fractured sternum. They lost at VCU in Dayton. They did come back to beat VCU at home uh, handily. Uh, so it's going to be a really close call, uh, you know, but if they do beat Rhode Island in the Atlantic 10 tournament, say they get matched up, they did win at Rhode Island earlier this year. So you might see them leapfrog uh, the Rams as maybe the second choice out of the Atlantic 10. So, you know, they could end up with 25 wins, 26 wins, something like that, uh, and, and a really, really strong mid-major conference. Uh, it's They're going to be right there on the edge. You know, they're going to need some help, obviously, from, from other places, but uh, they're going to be right in the conversation. Yeah, it's, uh, that, that 
big day. If that does end up happening, those two teams meeting in the A-10 semis, that's going to be one of the uh, must-watch games of championship week with what could be at stake for those two squads. Finally, your next four out, the lifetime appointment, Georgetown Hoyas uh, are here, of course, along with Mississippi State, UNC Greensboro, and Alabama. Let's talk about UNC Greensboro. Are they really on the radar as an at-large contender, or is this more just the fact that they have the seventh-best resume of the teams not in the field? What I'm saying is, can they realistically play their way in as an at-large if they win out, get to the conference tournament final, and lose? Or is this realistically a team that has to win their conference tournament and get that automatic bid, but because of the mechanics of putting together a bracket, they also happen to be the seventh-best at-large team outside of the field? Yeah, that's a it's a Mike and the Mechanics situation here. It's uh yeah, they it was a really difficult. I probably spent 30 minutes at least trying to figure out who the last team was on the next four out line uh this week. Uh, you know, a lot of really shaky contenders there. Uh teams that I don't think are all that close to to getting in the tournament uh at this point. Uh Greensboro, you know, 60th in the net, 20 wins. Uh, you know, they did win at Georgetown, uh, you know, Georgetown is, like you said, a perpetual bubble team who, uh, won at Butler and then, and then lose at home to, to Providence, uh, last week to just continue to confuse us. But, uh, you know, I, I, I have a hard time seeing them playing their way in as an at-large. The, the SoCon is, is a good conference. I think East Tennessee State, uh, is a legitimate at-large contender, uh, and Greensboro and Furman are kind of right there behind them. So, you know, if Greensboro can beat East Tennessee State, that, that's a good win for them. Uh, but you know they have a lot of teams to climb over right now, and boy, that uh, that loss on that half court buzzer beater uh, to NC State is really costly for them. Yeah, hopefully we can get our uh, bubble watcher Eamon Brennan to join us next week because we're going to have to start looking at these bid thieves if UNCG does beat East Tennessee State in the uh, in the SoCon final. Do both those teams get in? If Loyola beats Northern Iowa in the Missouri Valley final, do both those teams get in? Uh, it'd be great to uh, start. Homing in on those discussions, so uh, we're going to have to invite our uh, our buddy Eamon on to join us next week, but that's a discussion for next week. Let's get to some other discussion topics for this week, the first of which takes us back to the top of the field, San Diego State and Gonzaga. You wrote about this in the intro to your bracket watch for this week again. Why are you not subscribed? If you're not subscribed, you could be reading this along as we're uh, talking about it here. But uh, you posit the question of, should San Diego State now be ahead of Gonzaga? When the selection committee revealed their top 16 seeds a couple of weeks ago, they had Gonzaga as the one in the West, San Diego State as the one in the East, obviously saying that Gonzaga is the team that is now considered the top team out West. They're going to get that geographic preference. But you put forth the argument that, you know, what's happened since then because of the teams these guys have previously beat, maybe San Diego State should now be considered the one seed out West and get to stay in Los Angeles, not have to make the cross-country trip to New York City. Well, it's certainly a, a conversation worth having, I, I think. I don't think we should view that as being set in stone, nor should the committee. And the reason for that is because when they did reveal the top 16 seeds, the committee said that the main reason they chose Gonzaga over San Diego State was because Gonzaga's wins over Arizona and Oregon were better than anything that, that San Diego State had done. And, and I just don't think that's true anymore necessarily because if you look at San Diego State – Beat Creighton by 31 points, and I have I have Creighton as a, a number three seed now. They're they're one of the hottest teams in the country. Oregon, you know, lost again last night to Arizona State. It's kind of fading a bit uh, in the Pac-12. Not even uh, in first place, uh, uh, not even in second place uh, in the Pac-12. They're my very last number four seed. Uh, so I would put the Creighton win as better than the Oregon win right now, both on neutral floors. 
you know, the Arizona win for Gonzaga was on the road, so that's that's great. Arizona's playing pretty well right now. Uh, but, you know, San Diego State also beat Iowa, who's who's a really, really good team, and just, just uh, really handled Ohio State with ease uh, Thursday night at, at home. So uh, I think this really, really, really close. And, you know, Gonzaga has a slight edge in some of the metrics, but San Diego State's number one in the net. Um, you can say the West Coast Conference is better than the Mountain West. That's probably true. Uh, they have a common opponent, BYU. Gonzaga beat them at home, but they have to go to BYU uh, Saturday night, and uh, San Diego State beat BYU uh, on the road early in the season. So all I'm saying really here is, is I think we ought to look at this again, uh, and the committee needs a better rationale than just saying that Arizona and Oregon wins were so good compared to San Diego State's, especially when you when you think about the stakes of one team getting to go to Los Angeles and the other having to travel if it's San Diego State, potentially 2,800 miles, yeah. and maybe playing a Duke in Madison Square Garden if they get to the Elite Eight, both of those teams. So that's a, it's a you know there's some big stakes here, and I think the committee ought, ought to take a little bit closer look at this. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. I mean, we both went into that weekend thinking that San Diego State was going to have the the one seed in the West and get that geographic preference of Los Angeles, and now uh, with all the heavy lifting that some of the team's previous wins have done. Looks like San Diego State could be bullying their way into that spot and forcing Gonzaga to make that cross-country trip, uh, assuming they make it to the second weekend, to New York City. You mentioned the win for uh, for San Diego State over Creighton. Let's talk about those Creighton Blue Jays, because they're not only doing heavy lifting for San Diego State's number one bona fides, they're doing heavy lifting for themselves. One of the hottest teams in the country. Uh, four straight wins right now. They won eight of their last nine. That includes road victories over Villanova, Seton Hall, and Marquette, up to uh, 11th in the net, 15th on Ken Palm, eight Q1 wins. It seems this team can do no wrong, Brian. What's their seed ceiling? Yeah, I've got them as a number three this week. Uh, jumped up a couple spots for me in, in just a week, but th- that's how well they're playing. Uh, they, they are second place in the Big East. Uh, if they were able to catch Seton Hall there, you know, the Big East is the number one ranked conference per the net above the Big Ten. So that's that's pretty pretty solid. So, uh, yeah, like you said, the eight quad one wins, that's tied for fourth most uh, in the country. Uh, Baylor and Kansas are number one uh, with ten. Michael, trivia time, do you know uh, who's got the third most quad one wins in the country? Put you on the spot here. <laughs> third most quad one wins in the country. Um, Wisconsin. Uh, Seton Hall, actually. but uh, oh. so, so same conference, but they beat Seton Hall. So, you know, I think – I think a two is probably the ceiling, uh, just considering how how much the ones have separated themselves and how many teams they'd have to jump over uh, to get that one seed. But but right now sitting sitting very nicely as a three seed, uh, and, you know that you know, losing to San Diego State doesn't look nearly as bad, obviously, as it might have early in the season. So uh, Blue Jays are, are red hot and they're, they're the big mover of the week. All right, we're talking about uh, some risers. I got to talk about Kentucky because this is a team that I feel should be rising up the ranks as a 21-5 and five Blue Blood team. I know the Blue Blood doesn't play in, shouldn't play in. I'm not saying it should play in, but you see a team like Kentucky have that 21-5 and five next to their name, and we're used to saying, two-seed, let's do this. You've got them down at a four, and most people do think that this is an appropriate ranking for Kentucky being a number four seed, even with that gaudy record, even in a, a college basketball landscape where we do have a, a lot of teams that feel similar toward the top of the field. Why is Kentucky just a four at this point of the season? Yeah, they've been hanging around the five and six line for me for most of the past several weeks. But, you know, we've talked before. It's, it's a weird resume. Uh, the computers don't love Kentucky. They're 22nd in the net, 28th in Kempom, uh, which is kind of hard to believe is, is the top-ranked team in Kemp, from the SEC in Kempom, still 28th. 
But, uh, you know, obviously they've got, they've got some bad losses. That Evansville loss uh, is still weighing them down. You know, Evansville is 0-15 in the Missouri Valley Conference, <laughs> uh, one at Rep Arena. If there was such a thing as a quad five loss, <laughs> uh, I think that Evansville <laughs> should be. But uh, on the positive side, when the committee did its reveal, they mentioned Kentucky as one of three teams they strongly considered as a four seed. And since then, Kentucky hasn't lost. And they won at Tennessee. They won at LSU. Uh, they're in sole possession of first place in the SEC, although the SEC, as we mentioned, is down. May only get three or four teams in the tournament. But uh, a team that, if you watch them, uh, it's pretty clear that they're playing very well, have a lot of talent. Obviously, they always do under John Calipari, uh, but especially with some teams ahead of them uh, having lost, I think Kentucky getting to the four-seed line is, is appropriate. I'm not sure they're going to get much higher than that because there's not a lot of great wins left in the SEC, and they'll still have those bad losses on their sheet. They've got Auburn next weekend. They get Florida this weekend, but then they're home for Auburn next Saturday. That could be their last best chance at a big win, of course, and we'll see what happens in the SEC tournament. You know, it's almost like they could shoot themselves in the foot in a way by being the, the number one seed in that SEC tournament because they'd only get one shot at Auburn or LSU. They wouldn't get an opportunity to play both those teams, whereas if you're the number two seed, you get a chance to run through both of them. But then, you know, just sort of mental gymnastics, of course, if they – get to the two seed, then they've lost someone. Maybe they beat Auburn to keep themselves as the one seed. So, of course, just uh, all these little things that go into the selection process and into building a bracket. But Kentucky certainly one of the hottest teams, and uh, even though they can't seem to hit a shot from outside of about 17 feet, probably not a team that most uh, other squads would be excited to see in their region three weeks from now. Uh, let's move over to that Big Ten. Michigan and Ohio State, a couple of teams that started the season hot, right? These two teams have mirrored one another all year long. They both do very well in the non-conference, pick up some big non-conference wins, come into the Big Ten season, guns a-blazing, looking like maybe the two best teams in the Big Ten. Then they both hit the skids, go through some really bad cold spells, fall way down the Big Ten standings, and then at the same time seem to pick things back up. You mentioned Ohio State just lost to Iowa, but certainly no shame in a loss at Iowa as the Buckeyes took on Thursday. Outside of that, they've won five of their last seven games, including that game, I mean. Meanwhile, Michigan has four straight wins. They've won six of seven, only lost in that time, came to Ohio State. I know you're not the bubble guy, the, you're not the lock guy. That's what we talked to Eamon for, but how close are these teams to being locks in your field? I'm sure, first of all, that Michigan and Ohio State fans love being lumped together. <laughs> they just <laughs> love each other, and they love being together as much as possible. But, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a interesting uh, challenge for the committee, for sure. I talked about it a little bit in the bracket watch today. And, you know, I've got Michigan as a number five seed, which is probably a little higher than I've seen in a lot of other places. Maybe I'm crazy, but, uh, you know, they've got great wins. You know, they beat Creighton, which uh, is really, really looking better now. And, of course, they're the only team in the country that beat Gonzaga also beat Michigan State, Iowa, Purdue, beat Rutgers twice now. Uh, and they had the uh, injury to Isaiah Livers, uh, which was came during most of their losing streak. So that's something the committee will take into account. But I think Michigan is probably basically a lock. You know, if they lose out, if they lose, did I say lose? If they lost out. <laughs> It's early, man. I'm on, it's early. I'm, on some, early. I'm on some cold medicine right now because <laughs> get one of those late February colds. But if they lost out, you know, they still have 17 wins and they they'd have those incredible victories. Uh, I think that it'd be hard for the committee to ignore that. Ohio state probably has to win another game or two, which is maybe a little ironic because they're higher in the net. 
but they do have the wins of, over Kentucky and Villanova in the non-conference. And, you know, if they can get to 18 wins, uh, I think they're pretty solidly in the field. Now, their seed wouldn't be great for either team, but uh, I have a hard time seeing them missing the tournament. But but to me, it's a, can, how high can they get seeded, you know, despite uh, the rough stretches they went through? Yeah, both teams have those opportunities that this year's Big Ten affords. Uh, they play each other once more. Michigan also has Purdue this weekend. Uh, they've got Wisconsin. They've got Maryland to end the season in College Park. Uh, Ohio State has Maryland this weekend in Columbus. They've got Illinois at home, and they end the season at Michigan State. So like we seem to talk about every single week when we talk about a Big Ten team, this is a these are truly living resumes because they're going to change every single game with the opportunities that you get in this conference this season. Let's talk about some of those other bracket games that we've got uh, ahead of us this weekend. One that I want to start with in the Big Ten, Michigan and Purdue. Big, big game for Purdue. We talked about everything that they uh, have done to this point of the season, how they are still a last four by team, despite the fact that they are just 14 and 13 overall on the season. You already mentioned it a little bit, but what would a win here at home, where they've played so well all season, a win here against Michigan, how much breathing room does that give them going into their uh, stretch run in the Big Ten? It gives them a little, and clearly they, they can't go get down to 500 or, or below. But, yeah, you beat Michigan, who's playing very well right now, you know that gets you gets you to 15 wins, and I, like I said, if they if they get to 16 or 17, they're probably getting in. So uh, this would be another huge one for them uh, this weekend. 17. I, think, I mean, I, I, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. 17. Is that you think that's a magic number for Purdue? Pro, I mean, if they're like 17 and 15, I haven't done the math on how many games they have, but uh, that's probably going to get it done when you consider some of those 16 and 14 teams that have gotten into the past. But again, uh, also depends on what happens elsewhere. You can never look at these things in a vacuum. Right, right, of course, of course. Uh, yeah, it's going to be, man, the, the Big Ten's crazy this year, dude. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's, it's so wild. And, it, like, I mean, these teams, what's going to be so uh, insane about uh, going into the last few weeks and looking at these teams on Selection Sunday is I feel like there's no way, even if Purdue uh, goes 1-3 and three the rest of the Big Ten season, uh, wins one game in the Big Ten tournament, and, and then goes out. So that's uh, that would put them at, like, 16-17. and 17. Uh, Is that math right? Yeah, 16-17. and 17. I mean, you would still feel like they're probably one of the 36 best at-large teams, wouldn't you? But could you really put them in at 16 and 17? You probably couldn't. Yeah, I mean, again, depends uh, depends on what happens elsewhere. But uh, Purdue, I think I do think Purdue, at, when it's playing its best, could win two yeah. games in the tournament. It's just, can they play that way? <laughs> yeah, and this is a team that put up 104 on Iowa. Right, it's unbelievable. And then uh, what they 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 could also score thirty seven or what it was at <laughs> Illinois against so, Illinois. It's just incredible. Yeah. It is. It's uh, it's one hell of a team to watch if you haven't had a ton of opportunities to watch them this season. Uh, how about Villanova at Xavier? Villanova, they're going dancing, no question about that. This is a monster opportunity for Xavier. What would a win at home against Villanova in your eyes do for the Musketeers? Yeah, it's a team that has kind of steadily climbed up my uh, bracket. They just a few weeks ago, they were out of the field. Uh, a week or two ago, they were in the first four, and this week they're a nine seed, and, and some of that's just they keep winning and, and uh, other teams lose, and uh, some of their wins are, take on uh, more significance. So uh, a team that could really solidify itself, I think if they beat Villanova and then just take care of business the rest of the way, they'll be solidly in the field and could maybe even get up you know, to, to like the eight, eight, nine line. Okay, a big-time bubble team that we haven't talked about yet here this morning, Indiana. They also – 
get a big chance this weekend. I love when these weekends come together like this. We have so many bubble teams playing at home against established tournament teams. This is another one. Indiana at home against Penn State. Ken Palm has this as a one-point victory for Penn State, or I guess uh, loosely Penn State, a one-point favorite at Indiana. But Indiana, uh, another team, 17-9. So many of these Big Ten teams sitting at 17-9 overall. They, however, 7-8 and eight in the Big Ten. This is a monster opportunity. Maybe their best chance for a big win when you look at the remainder of their schedule. They're at Purdue, at Illinois, home for Minnesota, home for Wisconsin. So maybe you look at all these games and you say, home against Penn State, home against Wisconsin, hits that you know perfect uh, point, that Goldilocks point of meaningful and winnable. So how big is this one for the Hoosiers? Yeah, I'll just say that I was going to have Indiana probably out of my field if they lost to Minnesota this week, uh, but they did go on the road and get that win. For them, they just they've been atrocious on the road, and they needed to win a game uh, uh, away from Assembly Hall, and they finally did. So that got them uh, into the field. Uh, so, so these home games are, are big, uh, but I'd like to see them win a game in the or two in the Big Ten tournament as well, just just to get another another win or two away from home. Uh, but uh, clearly, you know, if you beat a Penn State, you beat a Wisconsin, that's that's another huge win, uh, get you in, and maybe they can get off that kind of 11-12 line. Uh, but, yeah, I, th- I honestly think that the road win at Minnesota was, was, was even more uh, important for them uh, than this game at home. And for Penn State, uh, just want to mention that they got him up to the four line this week. A lot of Penn State fans were weren't happy with their seating last week. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it happens. Uh, they, they won another game, so so they're in good shape. How quickly things can change, right? Imagine being a college basketball fan, being a bracketologist and saying Penn State fans weren't happy with their seating, right? It would be early if you'd have just told Penn State fans at the start of this year they were seated, they would have been thrilled. Right, and they were right? they were but a, a couple five months seed. of good basketball. And they were a yeah. five seed. You're like, yeah. oh, that's too low. Like, really? You're Penn State? But that uh, but good for them. They're having a great season. Yeah. Absolutely. Always love new blood in the tournament. It's hard to come by it with how many teams we get, but love to see some of these new teams playing their way into the field this year. And Penn State's been one of the best stories in the country all season long. Marquette at Providence, another one of these games. Brian, bubble team playing at home against an established tournament contender. Providence, one of your first four out. Simple question. If they win this game, are they in the field next week? It's really hard to say in a vacuum again. Uh, you know, some of the teams have them probably have to lose. But can we talk about Providence for a second? Because, you know, Absolutely. Eamon wrote about them this week in his uh, first Bubble Watch column. And what a fascinating case they are. You know, 15 and 12 were just awful, really, in, in the non-conference. Uh, in November, especially, just, just some really, really bad losses. They got three quad three losses, one quad four loss. But they're six and eight in quad one. You know, and they've, they've played really well in the Big East. They've, they've beaten a lot of really good teams. Uh, strong strength of schedule. So it's a team that's uh, another one of those really interesting test cases for the committee, which usually likes to, you know, reward teams that got something done out of their own conference. But Providence has gone and gotten some road wins in the Big East, uh, which is which is very key. Uh, and here's another chance to get another, you know, quad one win for them. Uh, so it's a team that uh, is certainly forcing its way into the conversation with, with a very odd resume. It's such an odd team sheet. You look up and down, I mean, Long Beach State lost, Charleston lost, Penn lost, Northwestern. They squeak Pepperdine, they squeak Stony Brook, but then they go into the conference and they win at Marquette and they win at Butler and they beat Creighton and they beat Seton Hall all over the place, this team. I am very excited to see what they can do at home against Marquette this week and then the rest of the schedule at Villanova and then Xavier at home next week. 
plenty of opportunities. I think Providence uh, is going to uh, be one of those teams that is pretty firmly in or out based on what they've done and what they still have ahead of them. I don't think we're going to be too worried about is Providence in or even we are now. But once Selection Sunday is actually here in three weeks, I think we're going to have a much clearer picture of this team based on the remaining schedule. Finally, Wichita State at Cincinnati, uh, two teams that I feel like we haven't been able to get much of a, a hold of all season. Two teams have been hard to get their arms around all season. Just when you feel like things are headed in one direction, they go the other way. And it's been I felt like it's been that way for both teams. Two teams that I can say I don't have uh, comfortably a handle of going into this one. So what's your read on this game this weekend? Yeah, probably a must-win situation for Cincinnati uh, more than Wichita, uh, especially Cincinnati loses at home to UCF uh, on Thursday night. Just a really, really bad loss for a team that is in my first four. You know, that's another quad three loss. They're they're five and four in quad three. You lost to Colgate at home, lost to uh, Tulane. Uh, so this is a team with some bad losses on it. It started to to play really well. Uh, but, you know, they're 10-4 and four in the at American Athletic, uh, still in the race there to, to win that conference. But, you know, n- another loss or two, and, and they're probably out of the field uh, after they had worked so hard to get back into it. So, you know, Wichita's, you know, hasn't been playing great, but they've been getting the wins they need. Uh, I've got them uh, in the field fairly safely, but, uh, you know, a couple losses here on a stretch, and it, it, gets, it gets bubbly very quickly. That is one of the games on Sunday that you are going to want to watch in what is shaping up to be a great weekend of college basketball. Brian, got one last thing we're going to do. We're going to do this every Bracket Madness the rest of the way. This is uh, giving you a virtual hat tip. I'm actually lifting uh, my uh, invisible hat off my head to you because this was your idea, and I love it. We're going to pick a Final Four based on the bracket that you have produced every show the rest of the way. Just have a little fun with it. Obviously, we know the draw is going to be different, but just have a little fun. And now that things are starting to solidify, even if the draw isn't exactly what you have, we can talk about these teams as true Final Four teams. So your bracket, your idea, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Give us your Final Four in the field that you have created in Bracket Watch this week. All right. I get to do a theoretical exercise based on my own theory. So, (laughs) (laughs) again, it's just for fun. Uh, But I would have, out of the East, I'm going to have Seton Hall, three seed, come out of there. I love the toughness of that team, and uh, I like their ability to make a run. In the Midwest, I'm going to have Kansas. It really kills me to not have Dayton in the Final Four. I really... Uh, want to put Dayton in the Final Four, but uh, in our staff poll earlier this week, I did pick Kansas to win it all, as, as did most of our writers, uh, and Kansas did beat Dayton in Maui, so I'll go with Kansas there. In the South, I'm going to take Maryland, a two-seed, and in the West, I'm going to be boring. I thought about taking a bomber like Arizona as a six-seed, but uh, I'm going to take Gonzaga. Uh, I love Gonzaga. My only question with them as a title contender is if Killian Tilly can stay healthy for six games. Uh, so I've got Gonzaga, Maryland, Kansas, and Seton Hall. How about you, Michael? All right, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be relatively uh, similar here, at least in our elite eight. But I- I'm gonna change things up uh, a little bit. So I'm gonna have uh, San Diego State and Seton Hall as my uh, elite eight matchup in the East. I'm gonna give that to Seton Hall with you. Then moving on to the Midwest, I'm actually gonna go Kentucky. Over Dayton, I think Kentucky, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, but I like the way this team's coming together, and I think their athleticism is going to be able to overwhelm a lot of teams that might ultimately be in their path. So I'll throw Kentucky into the Final Four here. They beat Kansas in the Sweet 16, beat Dayton in the Elite Eight, and get to the Final Four in the South. 
it's hard for me to go against Baylor. Um, I, I really uh, love what this team has done all season. I think they do it, but I'm going to go with Creighton. I love the way that this oh, team nice. shoots the ball. I love the way they're playing offensively. So I'll throw Creighton over Baylor in the Elite Eight, get Creighton into the Final Four, and then I'm going to be boring with you out west and take Gonzaga. Uh, the way that this uh, that this region has shaped up, you've got Florida State as a two, Villanova as a three, Penn State as a four. That feels like a nice top quadrant uh, in a region for Gonzaga to be able to handle. So I'll say Gonzaga, Creighton, uh, Kentucky, and Seton Hall as my final four here. And I'm sure, just absolutely sure, it's going to change next week. As you said, a theoretical ex- uh, exercise on a theoretical exercise. And we're going to have four 10 seeds in a final four before it's all said. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's going to be another one of those VCU years. Yeah. Uh, definitely has that feel. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Bracket Madness. Thank you for listening. Get Brian on Twitter at GBrianBennett. You can get me at Mbeller. If you are out there in Spotify, iTunes, anywhere in the free universe, please rate, review, subscribe. We really do appreciate it. And don't forget to, A, listen to Miles More Madness, our other National College Basketball podcast with former Nebraska coach Tim Miles and C.J. Moore, another one of our great writers here at The Athletic. We'll have a new episode coming to you on Friday afternoon. And also hit up theathletic.com slash bracketmadness to get yourself 40% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. That's going to do it for us. For Brian, I am Michael. Enjoy this excellent weekend of college basketball ahead and get ready for some madness. Thank you.